Amen. You know, it's a tremendous blessing to be a part of a church family that sends people out. And um, I've actually been to that school. I've been to Tanzania where they're going. I've met some of these evangelists that they're going to be giving these uh, story quilts to. And what a blessing it is to see these people who are sharing the gospel with people who cannot read. And they're just um, sharing it orally and able to uh, lead them to salvation in Christ because of the stories from God's word. And uh, it's a great blessing to do that. You know, Jesus gave us that commission to go and make disciples of all the nations. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad that we're part of a church where we do that, where we send people out to go and, and witness to others in other areas, uh, not just in our own city. But what a blessing it is. And um, I'm going to pray for them in just a little bit after we introduce our scripture. But know that um, we're going to be in Romans chapter 12 this morning. If you have your scripture and want to open that up, uh, Romans chapter 12, we're going to read a few verses out of there in just a moment. You know, our, our best friends, our best friends are those who have seen us at our, our best, but they've also seen us at our worst. And, and, you know, and yet they still love us. You know, what a, what a blessing that is. There are, there are friends who have uh, survived our anger. They, they've survived our, <laughs> they've dried our tears. Um, they've sat with us in living rooms and on back porches and police stations and, and hospital waiting rooms. You know, how many times have you heard someone say, when I was going through such and such a difficult time, I found out who my true friends were. You know, it's when the chips are down. It's when things are tough. It's when, it's when we're going through that we find, you know, when all of the rest of the world walks out and our true friend walks in. That's somebody we want to hang on to. You know, in Romans 12, 9 and following, I told you that I believe that, that the Greek construction here of these verses of the text necessitates that we see verse 12 as a general principle, and then, excuse me, verse 9 as a general principle, and then verses 10 through 12 as an example or specifics of how that principle is applied. And, and that makes interpreting verses 12 and 13 a little more difficult to understand. But if we see these verses as merely isolated commands that came to Paul's mind while he was writing, we can draw all kinds of, of uh, lessons from his words. But if we see these verses are really about personal relationships, then we have a question to ask. How do these warnings, how do these cautions, how do these reprimands illustrate sincere love because that's what we've been talking about is sincere love and, and you know I want to read these verses uh, our goal here is to hear what Paul is saying and trying to tell us so beginning in verse 9 I know it, it says 12 but I'm going to read verse 9 and following it says let love be without hypocrisy abhor what is evil cling to what is good be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, 
persevering in tribulation, devoted to, to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time, and we thank you for your word. And Father, I'm, I'm mindful of our brother and sister that are going to Africa, even as other brothers and sisters are coming from Africa. We recognize that, that you are sending them out to do a mission in the, in the mountains of the, the Uluguru Mountains. And Father, what a, what a blessing it is that, that Tim and Teresa are able to go and do that. And, and Father, I pray that you would uh, bless them as they go. I pray that you would uh, bless the people they will be speaking to. I pray for receptive hearts. And I pray that you would give them some traction in the gospel as it, as it travels across the, the Uluguru Mountains. But Father, I pray that you would bring many sons and daughters into your kingdom because of the work that they are doing in those mountains. And Father, we're gonna be very careful to give you the praise and the glory and the honor for what you do there. Father, this morning I pray that you would just give us a, a spirit of joy, a spirit of, of um, surrender, a, a spirit of repentance as we recognize where we fall short. But God, you are the one who holds our commitments and you are the one who is in and through all. And so we humbly acknowledge your presence with us. Holy Spirit, guide us as we continue to seek you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You know, I'd like to examine these phrases. I'm gonna hone in on verse 12. It says, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, and it says, devoted to prayer. You know, when we talk about rejoicing in hope, I just want to break that down a little bit. Really, what that means is rejoicing in the sphere of hope. Think about it this way, rejoicing in an atmosphere of hope, okay? And, and, and really, that's what he's saying. Like a fish needs water to thrive, <laughs> we need and joy needs hope in order to be alive and, and in other words, when a believer's hope is fresh and, and full and focused on Jesus, who he himself is our hope, he is our hope, and, and when we, our, our hope is founded on him, what happens is our hope will be like a good rain that is falling onto a barren heart, a very dry place. And that, 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 that rain brings moisture and up out of that moisture, the fragrance of joy emerges like a flower. See, hope is not merely just wishful thinking. And sometimes that's the way it's portrayed in our society and in our conversations. It's like, well, I hope this happens, or I, I hope this happens. And, and so that hope kind of is diminished in our own definition of it. But hope is not merely wishful thinking. It is the ability to see beyond the presence. It, it, it's the ability of that glorious future that awaits us and all who believe in Jesus Christ. See, hope is something joyful because we know, we know that we are children of God. The Holy Spirit inside of us confirms that and lets us know that. And, and we know that we are loved and that we know that God is, is great. We know that God is faithful. If God is anything, he is faithful. Faithful. 
He's been faithful to us. He's, he's good to us. And he's wise. See, the opposite of hope is despair. It's, it's when we, we no longer feel like we can go on. And, and you know, you think about that, and now, now how, does, how does that relate to our relationships? And see, I believe Paul is telling us that when we rejoice in hope, when we know where we're headed, when we know what's coming, when we can focus on that, <laughs> we focus on what could be rather than what is. We focus on potential rather than the problems. Oh, but we are in such despair these days. It seems as if the church is in despair and we look, when we have hope, we look past those petty irritations and we realize that God is fitting us. He is equipping us for heaven. He's cutting off all of those rough edges. He's making us as we need to be for him there. And and the things that we go through right here, right now, are temporary situations. Yeah, it may seem like a setback, but people are, he's fitting us for heaven. He's, he's, He's helping us, and people who are rejoicing in hope refuse to give up on other people. I'm so glad, I'm so glad that God didn't throw the clay away in my life. As he was molding and making me and I was obstinate and I wouldn't do and wasn't allowing him to form and shape me, he didn't give up on me. He kept loving me. He kept pouring into me. He kept shaping me. He kept working on me and he's not done yet. He's still working on me to make me fit for heaven. And as a believer in Christ, no matter the circumstances that we find ourselves in today, we can be rejoicing in hope knowing that this is not the end. We can say, man, the best is yet to come. Heaven's going to be pretty good. I can't even describe it, but I know it's going to be good and we rejoice in the hope that we have in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, Max Licato, he puts it this way. He writes, it it would be hard to find someone worse than Judas. Some say he was a good man with a backfired strategy. But he says, I don't buy that. The Bible says Judas was a thief. The Bible says that he was the one who kept the money bag and, and he often stole from it according to John 12, 6 that he would reach in and take some money out of the money bag. And, and, and the man was a crook. I mean, somehow he was able to live in the presence of God and experience the miracles of Jesus Christ and yet remain unchanged. Incredible. In the end, he decided he'd rather have money Then the friend, so he sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. I mean, Judas was a scoundrel. He was a cheat. He was a bum. How could anyone see anything any other way in him? I'll tell you. I don't know how. 
but Jesus did. Jesus saw something different in Judas that everybody else didn't see. Think about this, only inches from the face of his betrayer. Jesus looked at him and he said this in Matthew 26, 50. He said, friend, do what you came to do. What Jesus saw in Judas as worthy of being called a friend, I can't even imagine. That's hard for me to wrap my head around that. But I do know that Jesus doesn't lie. And in that moment, he saw something good in a very bad man. Folks, this is what joyful hope does. It realizes that this life is a battle. We're all fighting a battle. And it, it sees that some people get caught up in the principalities and the, and the powers and the spiritual fork, forces of wickedness. But it never loses sight of the fact that greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. I mean, 1 John 4, 4 tells us that. And so we're rejoicing in hope because of who we are in Jesus. He goes on and he says there in verse 12, he says, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation. Persevering. That word persevering means uh, patient endurance. Patient endurance in tribulation. You know, this word tribulation is a, is a Greek word and it, it's flipsis. If you, if you put... Lipsis with a th in front of it, it's thlipsis, okay, and 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 it means to crush. It means to to compress, to squeeze, um, and and it's used. That word is used forty five times in the New Testament, so it's a very common word. And originally, it expressed sheer physical pressure on a person. You think about this, being pressure. Medically, this word thalipsis is used for the pulse, blood pressure, okay? But it's also used in, in pressure on a person, and, and it's also considered pressing together like when grapes are, are, are crushed to make grape juice. When they're crushed to get everything that is inside of them out, all that is contained inside that grape is crushed and it conveys the idea of being squeezed or put under pressure or crushed beneath a weight. And, and we need to understand this word does not refer to mild discomfort, but to great, extremely great difficulty. See, Thalipsis is a great picture. It gives us a great picture. Don't we all... Don't we all on occasion feel like the weight of the world is weighing us down? You know, when, when you feel that weight of, of, man, the paper is due, man, I got to do this on the job, man, I've got a hard conversation I've got to have. It feels like the whole weight of the world is pressing down on us. That's tribulation. That's thalipsis. 
You know, there are times in our lives when we don't, things don't go like we expect them to. I mean, you're an honest businessman, but you get crushed by those who have no business ethics. You take someone at their word and you find out that they were only telling you what they believed they wanted you, you wanted them to, hit, to hear, you wanted to hear. You trust someone by telling them about a personal struggle and then they tell everyone else your business. You do everything the doctors tell you and you still don't get any better. You bail out someone who swears they have changed. They'll never do it again. But then they don't do what they say. You give your best years to someone in a marriage and then they up and reject you. You forgive someone for the way they hurt you but then they take advantage of you again. You help someone who is having difficulty and they turn around and they sue you. I mean, in these trying and frustrating times, we tend to react and we strike back when someone says something to us. And when someone does something mean or hurtful, we respond to them in the same way, only with more force. See, we're quick to simply turn away and conclude, you know what, people aren't worth the effort. Never mind. Folks, this is where we need to be patient in affliction. Where we need to have this perseverance and endurance in in tribulation because persevering when you are experiencing a crushing circumstance is not a call for you just to man up or as they say, you know, grit your teeth and bear it. That's how the world responds. But that's not how believers in Jesus Christ respond. See, God has given his children a new and a better way to navigate those roaring waters of adversity. And in context, it is by having our mind and our heart strengthened by hope in which we are rejoicing. So when the circumstances and the, and the tribulation comes, we can be rejoicing in hope. We're strengthened by that, and in short, since hope is fixed on our glorious future, it is independent of any pressing or crushing circumstances that we're going through. It's not part of that. And it allows us to put, raise, our, raise our head, raise our eyes, and see what God has for us. Now, don't misunderstand those circumstances are still very painful and difficult. It's just that now, God has made us a way of escape that we might be able to bear up under the the load of these circumstances. So clearly, rejoicing in hope is linked to persevering in tribulation. See, the former enables us to do the latter. When we have hope, we can persevere in tribulations. You know, in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 7, Paul told us that love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. 
The New Living Translation says, love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. I said last week, you know, our love for each other has to be greater than anything that we face. Our love for our brother and sister has to be greater than any problem we see down here. See, I believe this is what Paul's talking about here. See, patience allows room for God to work. Oh, we are some of the most impatient people on earth. And we want to fix it, and we want it fixed right now. But you see, when we have patience, it allows God to work and his spirit to speak to someone else and and, and it allows him to teach us and instruct us and, and refine us through this furnace of affliction. And the difficult times are when God often builds into us our deepest character. When times are the toughest, he builds into us our deepest character and patience understands that sometimes people are under stress and you catch them at a really bad time and the patient person is willing to take time to understand, to put yourself in their shoes. See, patience understands that though we are forgiven, we're not perfect. Though we're forgiven, we're not perfect. We are still struggling to apply our, our, our faith and our Christianity into our living and some days are more successful than others. Some days we fail miserably and other days, man, we feel like we're nine feet tall and bulletproof. But we gotta persevere in that. The patient person understands that change comes slowly. See, in the simplest terms, patience means considering your relationships to be important enough to hang in there. They're worth having and hanging in there on. So we're rejoicing in hope. We're persevering in tribulation. And our third phrase this morning is being devoted to prayer. I'm only going to scratch the surface on prayer. I'm going to come back to this another week and talk more on it. But you know, it it occurred to me that if the church, if the church demonstrated in its prayer life the dedication and persistence of the U.S. government in its collection of the IRS revenue then the church would indeed have little to fear from the gates of hell. But the problem is, is we don't bend and we don't bow. We don't get on our knees before the Lord in our weakness. See, being devoted to prayer is a biblical theme that we come back to and back to again and again. And if we want to grow in the Lord, if we want to make an impact in the lives around us, then we must not give up on prayer. See, the word means for continuing in that. Don't stop, keep doing that. means to give constant and steadfast attention, to wait on continually. Folks, we have to be determined. We have to be devoted in our prayer life to the Lord. 
many, many times, many believers, the only thing they do is they pray as a last resort. They come up and they're like, you know, I guess all we can do is pray. Man, you need to do that first. You need, to, you need to get on your knees before the Lord first thing and say, God, I need help here. I'm struggling. And, and you know, it, it, it's very important because if we're not devoted to prayer, that's going to be our last resort. And what I'm trying to encourage you is when tough times come, when things look out of, of, of alignment, you need to fall on your knees and pray and ask God to do what only he can do. I mean, why does love demand that we be devoted to prayer. I mean, that's what he says. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tri- tribulation, devoted to prayer. I would say this, that first, the love that we have comes from our relationship with the Lord. The good that you see in my life comes from him, not from me. And see, that's each one of us. And so when we, our love comes out of our relationship with the Lord, and we will only love to the degree that we've experienced that love. You can't share what you do not have. You can only share what you have, what you have experienced. And prayer allows us to bask in the grace and the love of God. Some of the, the, the closest most meaningful times that I've had in prayer, it was just me and God. It was just me and God. Just laying it out before him. And that's what he asks. That's what he desires from each one of us. See, prayer helps us to align our hearts, our hearts, and it gives us the perspective we need to grow in our relationships with those around us. And I would say this, secondly, if you truly love others, you will know that the best thing that you can do for another person is to hold them up in prayer. To hold them up before the Lord in prayer. To get on your knees before the Lord and and hold them up. It is impossible, it is impossible to hate another person if you are praying for them. So if there's issues there, maybe we need to look at what we're doing because if this if this relationship isn't where it needs to be these relationships won't be where they need to be see true and sincere love refuses to give up on another person on anyone there is no one that is unredeemable to Jesus Christ Each and every person, no matter what they've done, where they've been, who they've offended, can be redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. There may still be consequences for for their actions, but they are redeemable by the blood of Jesus Christ. See, true love turns to prayer because it understands that only God, only God can change the human heart. See, a person of prayer also remembers the Apostle Paul who had formerly gone around and persecuted the church, violently 
killing, putting people in jail because they believed in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, and yet God redeemed him. You think about people like Zacchaeus, the tax collector, the cheat. Today, salvation has come to this household. Nicodemus, the Pharisee, the demon-possessed crazy man who terrorized the town, the woman at the well who had five husbands and was currently living in sin, the womanizer and party animal by the name of Augustine, who, who became one of the leading theologians and, and tra- uh, leaders in the church. You also have the slave trader, who went by the name of John Newton, who wrote the, the hymn Amazing Grace following his conversion. And the political hatchet man, Chuck Colson, who was transformed and began prison fellowship. I mean, these are people that we would look at and go, man, they're, they're not worth the effort. But God says they are. And the blood of Jesus transformed each and every one of them. And if his blood can transform them, his blood can transform you. He can transform me. He can transform each one of us. In each case, these people had folks who refused to give up on them. And the person who has a genuine love continues to pray for the wayward child. They continue to pray for the cheating spouse. They continue to pray for the overbearing person at work. I mean, we all have to continue and be devoted in prayer if we want to see their life transformed. See, they continue to pray for that person who rubs them the wrong way and pushes all their buttons. They do this because they know that God can transform the human heart even when it's hardened. See, true love reveals itself on its knees in prayer. Now, as we've reflected on these words of Paul about love, I hope you're beginning to get the idea that when a person entrusts themselves to the grace and the mercy of God that is found in Jesus Christ, God's spirit will begin to change the way that we relate to one another. When there is surrender in this relationship, there will be peace in these relationships. See, Knowing Jesus, belonging as a child of God, it means it should make a practical difference in the way that we relate to one another each and every day. Let me draw just a couple of applications and I'll be done here. First, I say we need to look at our relationships. Look at your relationship How is your relationship with your family? Your spouse, your children, your parents. How is your relationship with your coworkers? How's your relationship with other fellow believers? 
See, if you find that you are constantly irritated or upset or doing battle with someone, it may indicate that there is a spiritual problem. For some reason, the love of God is not flowing through you. For some reason, the love of God is not flowing through you. And so all you see are the circumstances. You're not rejoicing in hope. You're not persevering in tri- tribulation. But, but you're, you're upset, you're angry, you're irritated. And it may indicate a spiritual problem. Because listen, when water doesn't flow through a pipe, it means one of a couple of things. It either means that the, the pipe or the fixture is defective, Or there may be an obstacle in the pipe. But one of those two is true if there's not water flowing through. And when love doesn't flow freely through us, sometimes it indicates that we're not correctly connected to the king of kings. Somehow that connection is not where it needs to be. And so that's the first direction we need to take in our relationships, is making sure that we are rightly related to the Lord Jesus. It is possible that your connection with the Father may be out of alignment. I mean, have you placed your trust in your religious knowledge or your religious experience or maybe, maybe uh, your deeds rather than on the work that Jesus Christ has done on your behalf? Are you still relying on your own goodness? Your own religious activity? Or maybe your reputation? If so, you're not connected like you need to be to the source of life. See, God owes us Nothing. God owes us nothing but eternal damnation. Judgment in hell is what we deserve. Our only hope is to cling to the cross of Jesus Christ and trust the promise of God that he says in Romans 10, 11, he says, whoever trusts in him will never be put to shame. See, until we're in that right relationship with God, we will not be able to experience the kind of sincere love with each other. It's also possible that even though you may be properly connected to the Father, there may be still an obstacle that that is restricting God's love in you. That obstacle might be a hidden sin, a secret sin that we're hanging on to. It may be an unforgiving heart. It may be a jealous spirit, maybe spiritual arrogance, or maybe callousness to the hurts of others. Sometimes, as a way of even protecting ourselves, we can be callous towards others. But in each case, the problem is not with the other person. The problem is with you. We need to look inside. We need to check the plumbing and see. Praise God, I got a son that's a plumber. Just just messing with you. 
Now I got to pay him, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) The first step to love, love flowing freely, is to confess our own weakness to God. We have to be honest with God because he sees it all. And he's the one who discerns what our heart motive is. And we need to be honest with God so that he can renew our heart and our spirit. Second, if, if the illustrations that are listed by the apostle of those, what is the greatest area of weakness in your life? If you don't know, ask your spouse. Ask a friend. But here's the deal. We have to take that weakness to the Lord. We can't, we can't struggle in silence. We can't just, we have to take it and lay it before his feet. I mean, is it giving honor to another? Is it, is it focusing on hope? Is it extending the benefit of the doubt to those around us? Is it maintaining enthusiasm? Is it, is it being diligent in keeping your spiritual life healthy? Or, or, or maybe is it using wealth as a tool rather than an idol? Maybe even extending hospitality. There's things that keep us from the love from flowing within us to others. So whatever your area of greatest weakness, make that a matter of prayer before the Lord. You know what it is. You know what what you're struggling with. Lay it at his feet. Ask the Lord to fill you with his love until it overflows into the lives of those around you. Jesus said, told the woman at the well, he said, if you knew who it was that was asking you for a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water springing up inside you. Living water that never runs dry. Living water that nourishes our soul. I'm gonna ask our worship team to come back up. You know, when that kind of love begins to flow, People will not only be drawn to the Lord, but that kind of love may very well come right back to you because that's the kind of love that God gives us. It comes from him. And when we are able to overflow with that love, everyone around us will be impacted by it. You know, it all begins with each one of us surrendering, surrendering to Jesus Christ inviting him to come into our life to be our savior and our Lord. That Lord is a big word because it means that he's the boss. Means he's the one who decides, he's the one who calls the shots in our life. We can't act any old way we wanna act. It all comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the starting point, is having a relationship with Jesus. Folks, we can't do this on our own. We can't be the church that loves each other and loves our community on our own. We need the love of God pouring through us, flowing through us to those around us. I need Jesus. You need Jesus. This whole world needs Jesus.
He's faithful. He is so faithful even when we're not. He is faithful to us. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time. Father, you you are so far beyond us. There is no God like you. There is no God who dies and gives himself for us. There is no other God that indwells us. Your Holy Spirit is our teacher, our guide. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how it challenges us to allow your love to flow through us. God, I pray that in the moments that remain in our time together, that you would show us those areas that we need to lay at your feet. And God, that you would do that for your glory. Father, I pray that we would each know the love, your love that comes through Jesus Christ. And I pray, Father, that we would freely, freely give that same love to those around us. God, we love you. Guide us as we continue to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've never confessed Jesus as your Savior and Lord, all I can tell you and encourage you to do is do it today. If you've never trusted him, never invited him to come into your heart and life, do that today. Maybe you're here and you want to follow the Lord in baptism. You come. Maybe you want to be a part of this church. You come. Whatever he's putting on your heart, I invite you to come. Maybe you want to come and pray and just lay that weakness at his feet. Do that. He wants, he wants to redeem and transform our lives so that he will be glorified in this area. Would you do that? Would you stand with me?